Well, it's an honor and a blessing um, to be able to be here. I was jokingly thinking about, um, I'm a FOS, a friend of Steve's, but uh, I am. (laughs) But uh, in the midst of that, uh, this is my church home. And I love this church home. I've been honored and blessed to be able to serve and, and worship in this church home for going on 22 years. And um, it has just been home to me. And when you have that sense of home, I believe that the Lord gives us an eternal perspective of what we receive here on earth with the church body. And the body is the thing that he created. And he created it so we can have fellowship with one another, that we can spur each other on to good works and with one focus and that's him our father in heaven so I am thankful and I'm blessed to be here today I would like to uh, title this message it's from Hebrews 12 and we'll get to the scripture here in a moment but the title is let us run with endurance it doesn't just say let us run but let us run a certain kind of way with endurance, the race that is set before us. And with this, there'll be three points I'm gonna be hitting on, and that is a cloud of witnesses, how beautiful that is. The second point is the author and the perfecter of faith. And then the cost of joy, the cost of joy. So in a couple of moments, we're going to watch a video here. But, and this is the same video that we, we showed at the 80th plus um, birthday. And I believe it's a really good video. And the reason I say that, because it gives us an earthly example of how we are to run that race with endurance. This gentleman named Ovel Rogers. And you're going to see... And growing up, we had this thing in, I think, fourth or fifth grade or going up, we had an overhead projector. Y'all remember those? And then you put that transparency there, and then each time the teacher would overlay something onto it, and then overlay something that was high tech, right? HD, what is it, 4K or something like that? That was a half a K that we had right then. So the Lord has entrusted us with with three things, and I'm gonna add two more, and they're not original to me, but the Lord has given us, anytime he allows us to open our eyes, time, talent, and treasure. We've all heard those, right? Time, talent, and treasure. But there's a couple of other things that the Lord has given us that they they are eternal, and they will not pass away, and that is his word, and that is people. So when, in this video, you're going to see an earthly example that a person using his time, talent, and treasure, and he's investing these temporal things into the eternal things, which are people and the Word of God. His name is Ovel Rogers, and if you guys can go ahead and just cue that up. Just think about that overlay of those five things, and you're going to see that displayed in this earthly example of this gentleman, okay? 
story, isn't it? And, and keep in your mind about the overlay, the time, talent, and treasure, and people, and the, and the word of God. And then think about running the race with endurance. It's a beautiful, earthly example of Overall Rogers. Overall Rogers stated, I will live life well for Jesus as long as he gives me life and breath. That's a perspective, isn't it? As long as he gives me life and breath. Orville's an excellent example of running with endurance. You know, time. Let's break down each one of them. Orville lived to 101, and in November 2019, he went to go be with the Lord two weeks before his, his 102 birthday. A, wife, a, life, a life well lived. His talent. Orville had an ability and a training to fly planes. And after the war, he flew single-engine planes carrying supplies to many hard-to-reach countries. It's treasure. He spoke about what his income was, but you see that through the Lord that he was able to give away $35 million. And it doesn't matter the amount. That's not what I'm saying. It matters the intention of being used by God in order of what the Lord has entrusted you to give away. And the word, as Orville stated in the video, the very place that he was commanded to bomb just five miles in many years past, there he was sharing the word of God and the word of hope to these people. And people. Within our circles of life, the Lord has entrusted us people within our spheres. And he's asking us to spend our time, our talent, and our treasure investing the word of God into people, which is eternal. Orville said, I will live a life well for Jesus as long as he gives me life to run this race. This is a great story. And I believe that Orville Rogers would agree that any boasting belongs not to him, but belongs only to Jesus. Only through Jesus is Orville's life a, a great testimony about what Jesus can do in and through a person. Okay. I would like to share a story with you. Around 45 years ago, I had a single passion. And that single passion was, and you look at my physique now so you may laugh, I want to be a sprinter. And I had my goal set on one thing and one thing only, and that was the Olympics. I saw it one time, and I was amazed. And the Lord had given me a talent to be able to run, and I could just run fast. I remember in fifth grade, Mr. Valdez, Mr. V, I should say, uh, he bet me a dime, a shiny new dime to, for racing. Now, we're on the playground playing, and the teacher's right there, and he challenges me with a dime. He said, I will bet you a dime that I can beat you from here to there. And the only thing I was focused on is that shiny dime. And I want to confess with you, I didn't even have a dime in my pocket. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll bet you. And we sat up right there, all the kids were there, and I took off with my little legs, and I smoked them. And I was so happy that I smoked them. And I went right back to Mr. Valdez, and I said, can I have my shiny dime? Because then, with a dime, I, I think I could get 10 bubble gums with that and maybe a couple of jawbreakers, too. But to say that, I grew up with five friends. 
And we were the best friends. We, we grew up doing everything from fifth grade to 12th grade. And my whole passion, my whole life, and I say that for a reason, was to run. I love to run, and the Lord had given me a talent in order to be able to run. In high school, Mr. C, I'll call him Coach C, we went out there for the first day of track, and um, he had us run cross-country. Everybody. Now, I could understand that he'd say, okay, you sprinters, you guys sprint on this nice, even pavement here. And you cross-crunner, you, 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 you long-runner people, you guys go into that force and run. I could not understand why he said, no, everybody runs cross-country. And in my arrogance and in my pride, I just could not understand it. And I'm going to confess something to you all today, and I hope you don't hold it against me. Promise? <laughs> I went through that track a couple of times, going through like a 40-minute run, going on all this even ground and stuff like that. And our high school was, our track was like this, and our, our high school, we had a track like this, and it was led into the forest. It just led into the forest right in back of our high school from the track. And then we would run all to the extreme right and run all these trails and all these trails and all these trails and then come back on the other side. So I applied my geometry skills and I looked at what we did a couple of times, don't hold it on me, and then I said, hmm, there's a better way of doing this. So I plotted a course from the right side over to the left side and then I ran in with everybody right in the back and then I went this way. That's the closest, right? Between two points of line. And then I came out on this side and everybody 40 minutes later while I was just kicking back in the, in the bush there. And I came out and I did my best acting ever. And as soon as, that, as soon as they came out of that, I got right back in there and I was running like this, like, oh man, man, that was hard, that was tough. That's the truth, I did that. The sad thing about that, I'm using that bad example to get across some biblical, uh, some biblical uh, principles here. I had not ran that race with endurance, but with cheating and taking shortcuts and being entangled with a sin that so easily entangled me. And that sin was pride. And that sin was unbelief. I could not understand the reason having to do cross-country running when I was a sprinter. And I just wanted to be the one to hand off that baton to the other person or run that last 220 or 440. And I wonder sometimes, is that is how we treat our Christian life? I know I have. Not running with endurance, but wanting to finish well, but with shortcuts. There's a cost with an immature approach and a great lesson that I often look back on my friend, J.E. I had a best friend of all the five, and his name, I was going to say J.E., and I could just, I could beat him just from rolling out of bed. 
But at the end of that semester, J.E. and I raced and we tied. And I was hurting my heart because I was wrangled with that pride. But what J.E. had done was he had woke up and, and he had run, trained several times a week. He would go out and work at the gym, getting stronger in his body and stamina, where I could do the least as I could, and I would just jump out of bed and run whatever way was before me without any direction, without any purpose in order to win that race. Have we done that with our Christian life? Have we done that with our Christian life? I look back on that, and with that bad example, it taught me a lot. And it taught me how to start exercising my faith. I praise God that his son, Jesus Christ, set for us the best example in finishing the race with endurance. Let's go to Hebrews 12, 1, 4, okay? And I'm going to add one verse to that, and that's 4 because it's a very important verse. But let's read together. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And I added that first verse, the last verse. Well, let me fill in some context with Hebrew. This book has 13 chapters. And this scripture that we're going to be discussing is nearing the end of the book. And there's a lot of speculations who wrote the book. Some contributed to Paul. Some contributed to Apollos. And I can definitely understand why they think Paul some say Apollos. I don't know of any writings that we know of Apollos, but also Barnabas. And Barnabas, who traveled with Paul, also was also called the, the son of encouragement. He's also the cousin of Mark. But what we do know, that it was written to Christian Jews, and they had not yet experienced persecution in their faith in the point of shedding blood. They were about to be tested so the author is telling the readers to get into the gym of faith and exercise it because it would soon be tested. And this is the only epistle, which means just short letter, that it does not have a greeting. It does not start with, I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It starts right into it with the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the theme of Jesus Christ and his supremacy is carried throughout the whole book. Let's go to chapter 1, Hebrews 1, chapter 1, and you'll see what I'm saying here. He starts right out to say in chapter 1, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, 
And listen to all the he's that are in the scripture. In these last days, he spoke to us in his son, whom he appeared heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. While he has made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much better than the angels, and has he inherited a more excellent name than they. This theme is carried throughout the whole book. If you carry that theme along, it says, Christ is superior to prophets. Christ is superior to angels. Christ is superior to Moses. Christ is superior to Aaron, our great high priest. It's very interesting that he says Aaron, because even the high priest at that time had to give offerings and sacrifices for their own sin as well as for the sin for the people. But not the great high priest that is mentioned here in Hebrews. He's talking about Jesus himself who offered himself, who did not have to give an offering for himself because there was no sin found in him. This is the theme of all of Hebrews. If you would sum it up in, every, in one word that Jesus is everything. That's the summary of it. The author has encouraged the Hebrew Christian readers not to shrink back from their faith and not to go back to animal sacrifices at the temple, which will be torn down soon. In Hebrews 10, verse 11 and 12, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifice, which can never take away sin. The Hebrew writer is telling them, stop doing this. The temple is not going to be there. There is one person who offered sin for one time, and it was sufficient. Verse 12, it says, but he is having offered one sacrifice for sin. For all time, sat down at the right hand of God. So that's 1 through 10 in Hebrews, just a short little summary of that. And then we come to chapter 11. And this scripture begins with the word, therefore. In chapter 12, I'm sorry. The scripture begins with the word, therefore, which is a summary of just what has occurred in chapter 11. And we label this chapter, chapter 11, as the, as the, the chapter of faith. And it's the climax of chapter 12, 1, 2, 3, and 4. Everything is built up in 11. And the Hebrew author is doing two things. He uses the word us. In Hebrews 12, 1, he said he's putting himself into the text by saying, let us, let us. You hear the shepherding heart of this author of Hebrews, whoever he may be. And he uses the word us five times in this verse. So there's an importance of what he's doing. He's putting himself into the boat with everyone else. He's injecting himself within the scripture. He's part of it. Let's break down the us's. The first us he's saying, he's surrounding us. He said, let us lay aside. And then easily 
entangles us and he's talking about sin. He's talking about himself and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The Hebrew writer is putting an image into the Hebrew Christian's mind, something that would be very familiar with them, and that's the Colosseum Games. And he's asking them to visualize all the people in chapter 11, seeing them, cheering them on, and egging them on. All these faithful people in the scriptures, these saints, these martyrs, he's saying, let us. And it's an encouragement to them. He's painting this picture within his mind in this big, huge coliseum. He's saying, look at Abel. His, his offering was acceptable to God. He's saying, look at Enoch. Enoch who walked this world and then he was no more. He said, look at Noah. Look at it. Do you see Noah in the stands? That's the image that what he's saying. Do you see Sarah, how faithful Sarah was? Do you see Jacob? Do you see Joseph? Do you see Moses in the stands? Do you see Rahab, Gideon? He's asking us to look at, he's asking those, those Hebrews, Christians, do you see all these people in the stands rooting you on, yelling for you? Look at my life. Look at what I did. Look what Christ did in me. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. The illustration that I, I see is we watch as a family American Ninja Warriors. Have you ever watched that show? And you know what's so cool about that show? Once it's so clean. It really is. But three things that you see in that, you see the, contest, the, the contestants are rooting each other on. They just got off the competition, and they're rooting. They join. They put each other's T-shirts on, and they're rooting each other on. And that's the same image that this Hebrew writer is saying to these folks. And another thing that I see in American Ninja Warriors, they're training with each other. The competition is laid aside. And they're training with each other. And once, there's a difficult course, and then once one person makes it through, then the floodgate is open, and then this person makes it to the end, and this person makes it to the end. And everybody is, is rooting and saying, yeah, and wearing each other's T-shirts, and this is what this person, this author is saying to the Hebrews, Christians here, you can do it. I know you can Look at all these people who have gone before you. He's giving them an earthly example, just like we saw in Orville. Now, I want you to continue to keep this image in your mind. And you're in a coliseum, and the race is about to begin. And the author is still injecting himself into the scripture, and he's telling the runners to do one thing first. Lay aside every encumbrance. In turn, he's telling them to strip down. He's telling the Hebrews Christian, anything that is hindering you from running this race, shed it so that you can run unhindered. He's also telling the Hebrew Christians to run with endurance. Now, let me take a step back. He's telling us to run with, with endurance. But what are the things that are hindering us in running? Just think about that for a second. What is hindering us from running the race? And it's different from each and every one of us. 
Sorry about that. Okay. And the second thing he's saying is run with endurance. Just don't run, but run under endurance. Endurance means to remain underneath it. It means wait patiently. It says don't stop. Don't leave. Don't take a shortcut like the example that I showed you. Paul says it in a very beautiful way in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. And Paul is at the end of the life he's, of his life. He's being poured out like a drink offering. And he's encouraging Timothy, which he has poured into. And he's saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. And then it's undergirded with this. We can't miss this. I have kept the faith. That's the foundation of it all and what we have sang. In the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, that's what he says in verse 8, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also those who have loved their appearance. I think that's a beautiful promise that Jesus has given us. I'll hurry on. But how do we do that? Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How do we do that? I believe the Hebrew, the, the author here is giving us the only way how. He's saying, fix your eyes on him. He's saying, take away the earthly, which is great, the earthly example, this cloud of witnesses, and then fix your eyes on him, Jesus Christ the author and the perfecter of faith. Jesus is the perfect example. The author meaning he's the first cause of our faith. Without him, there is no faith. We have full faith in Jesus. And he displayed his miracle conception, his birth, his perfect life, his substitute death on the cross for us, his resurrection and his ascension. And then we wake forward to the second advent of his coming. The perfecter means the completer of our faith. He's perfecting himself with us. But the only way he's able to do that is with our faith. And faith is being persuaded that God is able. Not that I am able, but that God is able. That Jesus is our perfect example because he himself is the example on how to run this race. Each of us, when we trusted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we were given a race to run. And the race to run that I have is different than the race that you have and the different than the race that Richard has and the race that Judy has and the different race that Mark, that Robert has. But it's to the same destination. That's something very common with all of us. And that destination is Jesus. That's our destination. But it even gets better. Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never leave you. Has anyone in your life told you, I will never leave you? Probably yes. But with that promise, that person has no power in order to make that happen. Only Jesus does. And his promises is said, I will never leave you. 
listen to that. And he even gets better. He said, I will never forsake you. That's a beautiful promise. Which means the Holy Spirit is in us, running with us and in us through this race, giving us the power, the encouragement, and the grace. And this is my last point. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The last point is the cost of that joy. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, remained underneath it, despising the shame and has sat down at the hand of the throne of God. It said in verse 3, for consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The author is continuing to point to the vine, Jesus. Now hear this, for the joy. And we look at that cross and it's hard to conceive joy. He endured the cross. The verb tense of endured is something that happened in the past and has continuous results in the present. Joy. Please see the magnitude of this love. For the joy, he says in the scripture. See the magnitude and the deepness of God's love for us. For that joy to take place, Jesus had to leave his glory. And he made himself like a servant as a God-man for the joy of the cross. And I look at the cross and I can't help from being affected by it. And to look at the scriptures and say, joy. Our Lord Jesus was beaten mercifully, disfigured, unrecognizable. And it said, for the joy, he endured the cross. We see the love of the Father, that he loved us so much that he sent his Son to endure for us because of that agape love which is beyond us. John 15 tells us, these things I've spoken to you and he's talking in the upper room to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The cost of that 
so that we can have joy. That's phenomenal. I can't conceive that. And that's why for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life and eternal life is to know him. That's the joy that he's speaking about in this scripture of knowing us, willing to endure that pain and that agony for us. And then the scripture tells us, then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The author is, is asking us to consider him. Consider everything Jesus has done for us. He's saying, consider him that you won't draw weary, that you won't lose heart. And that word consider is to compare. He's telling us to compare Jesus and all of his love and all of his sacrifice. Compare that to our current circumstance. And in context, he's telling the, the Christian Jews, you're going to be persecuted. Exercise your faith. But as you go through this, as you see the temple being destroyed, consider Jesus. Compare Jesus to what you're going through. And I think we can apply that to our lives today. All of us have hardships today. Each one of us within our family, we have stories. And we can focus on living and running a race of circumstances in our lives. But the scripture is encouraging us to compare ourselves to what Jesus did on the cross and what he continues to do in the Lord of our heart. He said, consider him. Compare him. There's a, a song that was reminded in doing this sermon is turn your eyes upon Jesus. And when, we, when you see in the scripture, consider him, it, it applies here. It said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. For, for you to turn your eyes upon Jesus, to you fix your eyes upon Jesus, you have to turn your eyes from something else, don't you? So turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Isn't that a good amen? You know, we have so much stuff that we go through, but when we turn and fix our eyes on the, the, the author, the first cause of our faith, the perfecter, the completer of our faith, and consider and compare what he did on the cross to our circumstance. It gives us a different perspective. We're persuaded by faith that God is able, and we're not. So I would like to do, invite you, church family. It's a two-part invitation here. And the invitation is first is an example of what happened to me. We had a, um, 
a conference and we were sending out. Jenna, if you're here, yeah. We had a conference and we were birthing out missionaries within this world. And they were all on this stage and it was like 20 years ago. And I, I had the opportunity to present Isaiah 6. You know, in Isaiah 6, he says, who am I? Send me. And I, and I, I came to that front and I had done it many times before in some different kind of ways. But there was something about that day. And all of us, we have this mark in our brain when, when the Lord has turned us from something. If we, I'll put it this way, when we said yes to God's response because he's always wooing us, he's always asking of us to respond. And I came up to this front and I bowed my knee as an altar here, a prayer. And I, my, my plea to the Lord was, Lord, use me. I want to be on mission with you. And in that time with, with the Lord, there was a change in my life that I started, and he started opening doors. And I, I was able and blessed to be able to, to go to Uganda several times. I was able to go to George Junction. And I was able to make sandwiches. Just, the Lord had just opened up my mind to a different perspective in life. But I used this altar as a time of decision, I guess you would say. God had already saved me. I had already responded to them. But there was a decision, and we make those decisions all throughout life, but there's those turning decisions of growth in our life. And church family, I invite you today let that time be this time have a time to to make a decision today a lot of you are probably just like me I didn't even know that I was on a race and that a race had been set before me and I was to run that race with endurance if you've not got out of the starting gates yet I invite you this day to make that decision today. Take that time to do that. Close your eyes and let's pray. Take your time today to fix your eyes on him, the author and the perfecter of faith, and run with endurance only by his strength. And when I ask church family to come up, those ushers, those people, to receive anyone who wants to make a decision today, Marty, and others. And I speak to you directly that you're not even in the Colosseum of faith because you've not made that decision to trust Jesus. I know because I know of myself, the Lord has knocked on your door several times asking you to come in to invite you into his life. I pray today is that day. These people will meet you here in front. They will guide you through into the kingdom of God. Let that day be this day. Take a couple moments to respond.
church family, make a couple moments to respond to the decisions. He's asking you to run this race. Now is your time to come in to run the race. Be part of the family. Father God, we thank you for the blessing of you. We thank you for what your word has taught us. We thank you that you revealed that you want us to run a race, Lord, with endurance and with you. And Father, thank you that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. In your heavenly name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, church family, I want to thank you Thank you for the blessing. And uh, run that race. Run that race with endurance, fixing your eyes on him. Okay. Bless you. Thank you all for being here today.